Hello and welcome to the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host. And guys, first off, sorry for my delayed absence. Uh, I know I haven't uh, pushed out an episode in the last few weeks. Frankly, I've gotten tired of hearing about COVID, tired of hearing about uh, all the political stuff, and I like I just need a break. I need to step back. Uh, went on vacation, and some of that's actually what I'm going to talk about here today. Um, and just haven't had a whole lot to talk about, and we're still trying to align some schedules for a few guests. But today, guys, I do have a good episode for you, and this is one that you're uh, going to want to tune into and, and stay to the end. See, today we're going to talk about diversity of experience. Uh, the vacation that I just went on was actually to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It's primarily on well so where we went was primarily on uh lake superior on the like north side of the upper peninsula but we did come back through to like the lake michigan side as well as uh, a little bit we were you know in the lake huron side but primarily on lake superior in the upper peninsula lake superior is also historically pretty cold and uh it was actually unseasonably warm this year and for those of you that haven't been, it's a super pretty and beautiful place, especially so in uh, when we went the last week of August. It's a just gorgeous time. The It's still warm, not too cold yet, um, but like kind of right on that cusp of turning to be like super cold um, and rainy and all that stuff. We did run into some rain. But the one thing, uh, I mean, we were talking about a lot of the trip, but one of the things that, that I did see throughout a lot of northern Michigan is if you're an avid snowmobiler, then you have to travel to northern Michigan. There's a ton of dedicated trails um, basically next to most every road that we drove on. So I have never seen that many dedicated like snowmobile trails, um, passovers across the roads. I mean... If you, some of you at all, you got to go to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, with the lakes and all that stuff, like it was unseasonably warm, which is still like the Alpine Lakes here in California. So still kind of chilly, probably mid 60s uh, for water, which for most of us, that is pretty cold. I do have a friend in uh, South Dakota, and I think 60 is probably pretty uh, like warm water for him. But uh, throughout, the upper peninsula there was just a ton of great views and great architecture um marquette had a ton of kind of interesting architecture um little college town and some neat construction and that's actually one of the things that i want to talk about so diversity of experience seeing different things in construction seeing different time periods of construction is really what i want to talk about today so with this in in Marquette, there was something that stood the test of time and served really a great purpose, and I've never seen anything like it before. Uh, and there were two of these massive structures, a uh, thousand feet long, uh, probably 60 feet wide, and they were built in the bays of uh, Marquette. So there was two of these massive structures, they're called ore docks, so spelled O-R-E, like iron ore. Um, what they were 
four, and they were truly just a work of art and a masterpiece built in the early 1900s, 1912 for one of them, um, that rail cars could actually drive on top of them. And they had four sets of train tracks on top. Um, and then they could belly dump their loads out of the rail cars and then load into ships. So they'd be like 800 foot ships, such as like the Edmund Fitzgerald, which is famous for uh, one of the ships that actually wrecked on Lake Superior in November of 1975 due to like 30 foot waves on Lake Superior. Uh, if you actually live on the East Coast in Ohio, Great Lakes Brewing, which is out of Cleveland, has a beer called the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, aptly named after the ship. And I was just amazed too that waves could get that big on Lake Superior, that they could be 30 feet on a lake, uh, all driven out of massive, massive winds. But let's get back to the Ordox. So the Ordox are these massive kind of wonders of architecture and engineering. And they really performed a ton of work over the years to be able to easily load ships to take ore from mines onto rail cars, put them out, dump them into ships. So these are, you know, 800,000 foot ships. And these chutes would take the ore from the cars and slid it into the hull of the ship. Um, if you actually look it up on YouTube, it's uh, just Google or search on YouTube, Ordox, Marquette, Michigan. And it's pretty amazing to see them in action. Uh, they're no longer in service. They don't really use them. Although they were using them to park train cars on top of, because I mean, these are pretty massive concrete structures um, and their presence can really be felt. So I'm always in awe of these awesome architectural marvels and experiences like this and the diversity of seeing it, thinking about it, thinking the work they've done and really just seeing something that you've never seen before. It gives you a new experience, a new awe, especially something that stood the test of time, right? These have stood for over a hundred years and frankly, you could still probably work um, if they were called upon to do so. Yet we also need to like reflect on these experiences, right? So like I went and experienced this, but you also need to reflect on those experiences. What can you learn? How can you grow? What, how can this help you in other ways? And not always do we understand what we're looking at, the role that it might have played in history and how some of these massive structures can really stand the test of time. Um, so just think about that when you like go and travel is maybe it might influence some of your designs or how you do something or just even the history behind why we do the things the way we do in construction today. So it's pretty incredible to see. Another amazing structure that I want to talk about and that I saw during my trip and again, experiencing diversity and seeing different parts of the world and taking maybe a few unfamiliar paths. So uh, my wife is a geologist and wanted to see the copper mine, the Quincy copper mine, uh, which is in the northern part of the peninsula. It's right on the Keweenaw Peninsula uh, of the Upper Peninsula. So another, it's like a peninsula within a peninsula there. Um, and with the Quincy Copper Mine, I was just truly blown away by the sheer magnitude of this and for the time periods in which they were mining. The, I mean, the Quincy, Quincy Mine is just, it's incredible um, what, what went on there, how deep it is, and 
it's really one of the first, um, you know, mining booms and mineral booms within the U.S. There was actually, and we went up further on the peninsula and saw a small little fort and garrison that was established by the army kind of around when this was open in the, you know, 1860s, uh, 50s, 60s. And with this, the reason that the um, army established a base up there was really to hand out mining claims. <clears throat> and I never thought of this, uh, you know, as Michigan is one of these big mining operations, but there's quite a bit of iron ore, copper, just a lot uh, really in this upper peninsula of Michigan and um, probably down into Wisconsin. But it was crazy that the army came in and they were the ones that uh, dealt with mining claims and uh, kind of keeping the peace during these mining eras. I mean, so Quincy Mine was from 1846 to 1945. Uh, on the surface, you could see a few things like these shaft houses, which is where the workers went in to ultimately go down into the mines. And then another thing that we toured was this large, uh, basically drum building. So the, within the, <clears throat> within the mine or way to get down into the mine. So it evolved over time, right? As they were close to the surface, they used a series of ladders to get down into the mines. Then they started to use, I think what they called a man mover, which it was this uh, series of ladders. Basically, you had two sides of it and then uh, they would rotate kind of up and down and then you would alternate sides as you went down through the mine. So one would go up, one would go down and you'd ride it down uh, into the mine. With this, it basically took you hours to get down into the mine. And the, the depths of these mines were just, frankly, crazy. Uh, so when we look at depths, so by hand, they went down a, like 300 and some odd feet is what they dug out by hand. Um, I mean, with like a pickaxe uh, and a maul and some dynamite. I mean, they did it all without really any machinery. It was you know, two guys, one swinging a 10 pound sledge, another, um, holding the iron basically. And your job was to hit a one inch square piece and do that effectively without killing or maiming your, uh, typically your family member as you were digging out this mine. So that's what they, they did to get out copper. And then you had people to, you know, cart it away and you had the timberman lumberman to, build all the structures to help support uh, where you were digging. So with this, ultimately the Quincy mine uh, ended in 1945. That's when they stopped operation. But the depth of the mine was just incredible. Um, so, and actually before we get to that, they, there's another thing called the hoist house. Um, in the hoist house, which we got to tour one of them, is uh, basically as simple as it sounds, a hoist house. And it had this massive drum effectively that was powered by a few pistons um, that were steam operated. And it was a big tapered drum. So really fat in the middle and then each side it tapered down. Uh, effectively what this did was for speed. So as it got to the 
top it would slow down um and you know within the middle of the the shaft it would speed up and these big steel cables were around the drum and that's what would spin to lower eventually from the the ladders to the people mover to a rail car effectively they got dropped into the mine to where you could you know raise and lower 30 40 men with into the mine at a single time and it took you know 10 minutes to get down there versus an hour so effectively you know the company gained and people gained time in going into the mine so this at the time in the early 1900s to erect this shaft house um was like three hundred and seventy thousand dollars in 1918 so big investment at the time which would be millions of dollars today to erect this structure to ultimately go faster to put more and more people uh into the mines over the uh, effectively so 846 to 45 roughly 100 years that the mine was in operation and granted not all those years was it actually active but um during the 99 year time span that the mine was uh owned and maintained they actually went down like 5600 feet almost 6000 feet uh through the mine which is just incredible uh depths at which they were going down to mine and mo eventually they once they hit like 400 feet then they other tools were invented um like a single man drilling rig where they could set it up to drill into the rock to then place more dynamite to then blow out sections uh of the wall so that they would then be able to you know then haul that uh copper away and then back up uh to the top which would then be you know gone out and extract you know melted extracted all that kind of great stuff but it just blew me away how big of an operation it was and then this hoist house in particular at how they built this one big machine to simply lower and raise ore cars out of the ground and at the depths that they were right six thousand feet is quite a significant uh depth to be operating out of and for this it just shows again this was in the early 1900s that they built this and even before in the you know mid 1850s that they were building these very very large structures it's really just amazing to me how they were able to dig out all of these pieces and do it primarily by hand um, and then you know eventually machining tools came in so to give you kind of a, a scale, so when they did it by hand or in these uh, smaller places, when they dug the mine shafts in to then get to where they would blow out a vein or whatever. So the outer wall of a mine might be, um, when you look at like kind of the tunnels to then where you go and you dig for the vein. So the the tunnels to get there they wanted all of that was basically waste there wasn't anything precious there was no good metals within those small uh or within the tunnel areas so the tunnels at the time because you just needed to get through to get to the next spot they basically made it a you know it's like a three four foot five foot tall deal uh five by five kind of square ish and it's rounded it's jagged it's not smooth nothing like that uh, to get through to ultimately where they would 
truly mine and blast and then pull out everything. With that, those areas where they were blasting and digging, you know, and you'd go into and it'd be this 60, 70 foot uh, cavern basically that you'd look at and it was this oblong shape and it would run for, you know, 1800 feet once they hit the, you know, actual uh, precious metal deposit and shaft. So in this case, copper, then that would be very long to get all the copper out of it. Um, but the shafts itself or the, I guess, tunnels to get to where the ore deposits were, were very, very tiny. But then in the 1970s, uh, Michigan Tech, which is in Houghton, actually um, is there because it was used to teach students how to mine or the next generation how to mine the tools and improvements. And so that's why Michigan Tech has actually been formed is to teach the next generation how to mine, what to look for, how to do it. But in the 70s, they actually uh, went in and dug out a shaft um, or uh, I guess it's not a shaft, but a tunnel from the outside into kind of the core of the mining operation. And these places were, you know, 20 feet wide, 15 feet tall, um, very large dugout area that you could, I mean, you could drive cars through it. Um, very different than what traditional old mining looked like. I mean, you just had these very big uh, underground places, again, where you could drive cars and all that kind of stuff in into to ultimately extract it. Um, but Michigan Tech did that as kind of a demonstration, as a teaching opportunity for their students. But again, here we are. We're seeing these massive structures, these things that were built 100 years ago, um, things that were done by man, and really just the ingenuity that we've had to build these amazing structures, these massive pieces of work, these great engineering marvels. And the more that we look at these, the more that we go and see different building types, different system designs, the more that we can look at these things, the more that we can have not only appreciation for what we're doing in the modern systems that we have, like air conditioning or electricity and power tools, but also to know that we're capable you know, as man of creating and as engineers and contractors and everyone in construction of building these great massive structures that really do a lot of work for the community at large and can give us a great experience. So guys, the, the big takeaway for this episode is, you know, get out, explore, whether that's in your own backyard, your own community. I mean, even going for me and you know, what's technically in my backyard is, you know, the, the Sierras and Yellowstone or not Yellowstone, but Yosemite and seeing just even some of the huge rock walls, right? Like El Cap and Half Dome, you know, these 3000 foot rock ledges just shows you that there's, there's more out there. There's massive structures. There's things that we can build and create and just the wonders, natural wonders of the world as well. So my, my thing today, guys, is find ways to go out, explore, think about what you're exploring, what's going on, how it's making an impact in your life or how it could make an impact on others. I know that the travels that I've had over the years have grown and developed me and made me see things in a different light. 
Maybe it doesn't always hit me on the trip or even on the return, but over time, over years or talking to people about the trip, the experience, it gives me a newfound appreciation, a new outlook on the way the world is, what's possible, and that the world is a lot bigger than we all kind of think or believe. And every experience that I have kind of reinforces that belief. So guys, that's this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I promise I'll be more regular with getting episodes out to you. And as always, thank you again for listening. Until next time.